through your Holy Spirit. Help us not to only talk about it, but to live it. Lord, to really live it, to be a light for you in every interaction and conversation we have to impact eternity for Jesus Christ. In your name. Hey, I hope you guys have been blessed by the study here through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We're going to be finishing up here tonight, and I think the last chapter here of Ecclesiastes is really a lot of fun. So we're going to do something a little bit different here as we get ready to go into this. But we're going to be picking it up here in verse 9. If you've been with us for a study in Ecclesiastes, you remember this. Keywords, vanity, useless, meaningless. That's repeated repeatedly throughout the book. Solomon is writing this book. He's writing it from the perspective of a backslidden believer. Solomon is not an atheist. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is not an atheist. He believes in God. The problem is he's not living the life. So therefore, this is the perspective of an earthly What's somewhat spiritual mingled in. You'll see these phrases in the book of vanity of vanities. Once again, everything is meaningless. Everything is useless. He uses the phrase under the sun a lot. Anytime he uses the phrase under the sun, he's always saying, only thing I'm focusing on the earth. I'm not thinking about eternity. I'm not thinking about heaven. So he says a lot, hey, eat, drink, be merry. You're going to die. That's the perspective of under the sun. There is no eternity. Well, as we get closer to the end, he gets a little bit clearer picture of what's going on. And by the time we get to the end, look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. By the end of the book, he gets a little bit clearer perspective of saying, okay... It has to be about the Lord. It can't be about my enjoyment on this earth. This is the man that had 700 wives, 300 concubines. This is the man that was the richest man at that time. He had the most powerful man. He had everything the world could have to offer. He was still depressed and discouraged because he didn't have what was right with the Lord. So as we get to the final chapter, he's basically saying, here's my final thoughts on getting older and wisdom. Start in verse 9 of chapter 11. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. What a verse. Verse 9. Hey, young men, do what you want. If your heart says it feels good, go do it. Walk in the ways of your heart. Get out there and enjoy yourself. If it's in your eyes and you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Because you're only young once, right? It always amazes me when I run into somebody, especially believers, that, oh, the best years of my life are the college years. Man, this is my personal opinion. I'm not not just saying this. I always think the best time of my life is the life I'm in right now. Because that's where the Lord wants me at this moment. So maybe I didn't have the typical college experience. I got married at 19. So when everybody else was doing college, I was doing college and working and coming home and paying rent. But I've never understood that everybody looking back 10, 20, 30, 40 years and saying, oh, that was the best years of my life. Why? Because I could do what I want. I felt good about it. Solomon says, I agree. But he throws this little caption at the end. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. You will be accountable for what you do. You will be accountable for what you say. So now in verse 10, he says, therefore, take the sorrow from your heart. Therefore, put away the evil from your flesh. Because guess what? Childhood and youth are vanity. When we walk in that childhood mentality, it's really meaningless and useless. Now, is it saying that kids can't be kids? No, that's not what this is saying. This is saying when young men act like kids. And I've seen this so much where men are men physically. They are married. They have kids. 
and they still think that they're a child in the way they act. They throw little three-year-old temper tantrums. They think they should be able to do what they want to do when they want to do. When I do marriage counseling with it, I refer to it as you're married, but yet you still think you're single. Solomon says, hey guys, that mentality is meaningless. That's vanity, that's useless. There comes a time of growing up. Paul talked about this in Hebrews, where he says you need to put your childish ways behind. You need to move on. Actually, I think it was in Timothy where he said that you need to put your childish ways behind. When he goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I act like a child. He goes, but now I'm a man. And there sometimes needs to be some spiritual growing up in our churches of men acting like spiritual leaders the way they're supposed to be. So now he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Please note, the difficult days come. They're going to come. They're going to come. The body will fall apart. There will be difficult days. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I tell you, one of the saddest things I see is when I see somebody nearing the end of their spiritual race, and the only thing they want to talk about is what's wrong. They only want to talk about physically what's wrong, emotionally what's wrong, spiritually what's wrong. And I just want to stop and say, you're so close to tasting the perfection of heaven where Revelation says there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. Can we focus on that? Can we rejoice in that? Solomon says, though, we reach a point where we say, I have no pleasure in them. Please remember this is the perspective of a backslidden person. Now, I think this is really interesting. Verses 2 through 6... He talks about old age, and he uses this amazing symbolism to do it. Now, if you want to, for fun, we're going to go through, and I'm just going to throw some little opinions and some what I've read and studied and what it may be. I I tell you, if you've got kids at home, go home and read this and say, what do you think he's talking about? Take a look at this, verse 2. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not dark, and then the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low, and they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, you can all throw your opinions in here. I'm just going to kind of share some stuff. When you take a look at verse 2, and you start seeing here about the clouds do not return after the rain. Cloudy thinking, foggy thinking, the clouds return there. Have you gotten older? Has your thinking gotten cloudier and foggier? God bless Dawn. Every time she has a kid, she can't remember things. It's it's, it's getting my two favorite Dawn stories, and I have to share these with you. First one is her phone was ringing, and she's walking around the house very loudly saying, I can't find my phone. Where's my phone? Does anybody see my phone? It was in her hand. I just want to let you know that it was ringing. It gets even better. She was walking around the house, and she couldn't find the baby. She was, she was holding the baby. So she was walking around the house looking for the baby while she was holding the baby. So there's some deeper issues with Dawn, but we'll get into that later. But the point is, the clouds returning after the rain, this foggy thinking, that starts to happen. Okay, what are we going on now? The day when the keepers of the house tremble? Now, if you have like New Living Translations, they just come right out and say what they think it is. So, keepers of the house tremble, legs start to shake. 
You've seen older people as they walk. There's a lot of shaking. There's a lot of trembling. The strong men bow down. Shoulders start to lag. You see them bending over a little bit like that. When the grinders cease because they're few, you lose your teeth. Those that look through the windows grow dim. Your eyesight goes. When the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, you can't hear as well. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, I, I tell you, they get up early, older people. Like, really, really early. And there's nothing to do at 5 a.m., but they're still up. I don't know why. All the daughters of music are brought low. They can't, they can't hear. They're also afraid of heights, of terrors in the way. I was talking one time to a guy. He was in his 90s, and we are just talking about life and fear. And I said, what are you most afraid of? He said, falling. He says, people get to my age, and they fall. They break a hip, and he goes, they don't bounce back. They don't recover from that. There's that literal fear of falling, afraid of heights, terrors in the way. Almond tree blossoms. Almond trees blossom white. Their hair goes white. The grasshopper is a burden. The idea of a grasshopper, it's a burden. It's a lot of work. To just pick up a grasshopper, they're saying. The simple things, putting on socks, tying shoes, it becomes a burden. Desire fails, talking about passion. And what happens? Man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. This is a very poetic look at the end of life. And you can go back and you can form your own opinions. You can go back and form your own. I think it could mean this or that. Hey, have fun with it. I remember I taught through Ecclesiastes. Now it's probably been... 20 years ago, and we were at a Friday night study at our house, and we talked through it. And I tell you, they just enjoyed going through this. What do you, what do you think this means? But it's a very poetic picture of, of getting old. Some people even take it into verse 6. The silver cord is loosed. They start talking about this idea of the, uh, the spinal cord there, golden bowl, meaning the brain. It could also just be meaning this idea of silver and gold, things that are valuable they start to disappear because what you realize, the only thing that's valuable is life. So fine, you're on your deathbed and you have silver and you have gold. That means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And what happens, verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. If you've ever been at a graveside funeral that I do, one of the things I usually say at the graveside is I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From the ground we came to the ground we return. Then I always add this. But from the ground, those who believe in Jesus Christ will rise again. And I think it's important to see the big thing. And Solomon here, as we get towards the end, it's, he's getting a little clearer picture. But then he throws in verse 8. <laughs> it's meaningless. It's useless. It's all useless, he says. It's like, it's like he starts to get it. So how does this end, verse 9? Moreover, because the preacher was wise. Look at this. And I think this is important. He still taught the people knowledge. He's teaching. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. And you can go read the book of Proverbs if you'd like by Solomon. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. I like that, verse 10. Watching his words. We've talked about this for weeks. A wise, mature man or woman of God watches what they say. You can tell a lot of a spiritual maturity of a person by what comes out of their mouths in conversations. If words come out in anger and frustration that should not come out, that's revealing your heart and your spiritual maturity. Maturity is God's way of dealing with stuff. You know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and even if to say it at all. So watching his words. And he wanted to speak words that were upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. If you're not familiar with what a goad is, it is something that uh, they would put like on the back of their boot with a sharp uh, point, and you would kind of kick 
the animal and make the animal go a little bit faster if you wanted to. Or sometimes even had a stick that had a poker on it. So therefore, if you're out there with your oxen trying to plow the field and they're not moving quick enough, you give them a little jab. If you remember correctly, when Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9, what does Jesus say to him? Why are you kicking against the goats, Paul? I'm poking you to get your attention, and you just keep fighting back. But it says the words of the wise are like that. If you've ever heard a teaching or talking to someone, and they said something you needed to hear, it hurts, it pricks, but you're like, I I needed to hear that. I love this one. The words of scholars are like well-driven nails. Have you ever seen somebody who knows how to nail and hammer? Now, you may say, James, that's a really dumb thing. I don't know how to nail and hammer. I, I don't. You could line the nail up, and I will inevitably bend it. I'm just telling you that's what will happen. And I'm the tap, tap, tap guy, right? And like, I, I've worked with people that know how to nail. Nail, one hit, one hit, one hit. And I can just sit there in awe and watch them because I'm just trying to tap it in with my little Tykes plastic hammer type thing. I can't do it. Well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Who's the real shepherd? Jesus said, I am the shepherd. Further, my son, be admonished by these. Admonishment is a biblical word means I'm warning you. Yes, it's encouraging. Yes, it's honest. But there's a warning. He's saying, have you learned from these 12 chapters? Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. He's basically summing it up here at the end, saying, listen, guys, I could keep talking about this. I could keep writing about this, and I'm never going to figure this out. We've been going a lot to the uh, book of Romans, chapter 11, where it says God's ways are unsearchable. God is so above us. Let us now hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And what a great ending there to say, okay, do I get it? Am I going to take what I just read in this book, apply it, put it into practice, and am I going to actually use this? I hope you do. You know, Corinthians tells us that these Old Testament people were given to us as examples. Examples of what to do and of what not to do. Okay, we can learn a lot from Solomon. This man was wise. This man did know some of the deeper things of God. The problem is the flesh. Oh, he lived in that flesh. And that flesh, he had everything the flesh could offer, he could ever want. And Ecclesiastes proves that you will never be satisfied in the flesh. He sums it up by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. And I hope that's something we can do too. Now, what I wanted to do tonight, because this is a pretty straightforward teaching. There's not a lot of deep theology. And I wanted to get through it kind of quick because I wanted to end with something that I think is kind of fun. So, Shirley, where are you at, Shirley? Shirley, if you want to come on up here. I picked the oldest person I know. And I want to bring Shirley up. And Shirley, and I want to ask Shirley some questions. About walking with the Lord. I want to ask Shirley some questions about Ecclesiastes here. And she's going to come up and sit with me. And uh, Lynette, let's put Shirley right over here. Got a couple steps here. Okay. Leave her right. Leave her right. Yep, go ahead and take a seat. Me? Yep, you. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to clip that on her. Get to be Mike, Shirley. Probably don't need it. Oh, but we got to record this for. Oh. Okay, Dustin, is she on? There you go, Shirley. Say something. Something. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to let you hold this. You don't have to do anything with it. You just hold oh, it. Oh, I can sit. 
Yeah, you get to sit. Yeah, I'm going to sit beside you. If I got it right. <laughs> How long have you been coming out here, Shirley? Oh, well, I come out here when the, I was up in the library when you, you were up, up in there. the library. Mm -hmm. Okay, we built this in '98. So we've been here all that time. You've been here all that time. Yeah. Do you remember the Sunday when uh, Jim stepped down and uh, they announced that I was going to be the pastor? Do you remember that? You got up and shared a prophecy with the church. Do you remember that? Uh, no, but I, okay, I know well, it took place. Well, this conversation is <laughs> over then. So No, uh, you got up. You shared a prophecy. You got up and you prophesied that, um, you know, because we all were walking in, in a little bit honest fear. We, we had board meetings of where we thought, okay, half the church is going to leave. Jim was so beloved, so respected. And, you know, here's this 22-year-old kid coming in that, did not know anything, and you got up, and I remember you got up and shared a prophecy, and you said that there is there is good things coming. The Lord is in this. We need to trust this, and that we're going to see fruit coming out of that. Do you remember that? Eight, no. Yes, you did. Eighteen, <laughs> eighteen years ago. So wow, I'm, I'm still waiting for that fruit. But the point is that uh, <laughs> Shirley, how old are you? Ninety-one. Ninety-one. So, when did you get saved? Oh, they're clapping for you, 91. When, when year did you get saved? I got saved in 1951. 1951. So, you've been walking with the Lord... 66 years. 66 years. How did you get saved? Well, I think everybody has their own experience, but and I think everyone's different. But I was always God-conscious. I can't remember a time growing up that I wasn't God-conscious and always knew there was a God... But uh, I knew that um, that I needed to go to Sunday school, <laughs> and so I went, spent a lot of time in Sunday school and church. Got older, about at age seventeen, and got mar um, graduated from high school, and got married, and started raising a family. And I still was, um, I knew there was a God, and and I was hungry for Him, and I was searching for something. And uh, as the kids come along, there's four of them, and. Uh, from uh, the young, oldest was six and the youngest was one. From one to six, uh, the children come, came along. And about that time, I knew I needed God. <laughs> 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 and so um, I began listening to the radio. And Back to the Bible was on and the old time gospel hour and all those old good programs. And so I began listening to that. And and God spoke to my heart. And one day I knew that I needed him as my Savior and my Lord. And I was at home and I got on my knees in an old rocking chair and began praying and uh, seeking God. And it took me about all day. I tell you, I don't know what was holding up the works, but I guess a full surrender to him. Anyhow, I got saved, gloriously saved. And uh, it was just, uh, it was a transformation for me. And uh, from and I was age 25 when that happened. 25. Yeah. Now, what year did you get married to Bob? What year is it married to Bob? Yeah, what, what year did you guys get married? Uh, 1945. 1945. So the first few years of your marriage, you were not saved. Bob was not saved either. No. How, what was that like? Well, we had a good life. Mm -hmm. We were young, and we loved each other, and we, we knew what we wanted and how to live and to raise a family, and lead a good life, and he was a good man, and I was a good woman. <laughs> and, and humble. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we did. We had, a, we had a good life together, and uh, 
when I got saved, I couldn't wait till he got home to tell him what had happened to me. But of course, he, his folks uh, knew about the Lord. They weren't saved. But, um, back there, you know, the church and, and uh, going to church was uh, what you did mm-hmm. and uh, your family. And uh, so when uh, I got saved, he got home. Boy, I told him as I was, what happened to me? I got saved, got born again. And he said, well, I'm happy for you. <clears throat> and it wasn't long till just a couple of weeks after I was saved that uh, God led me into a um, uh, gospel preaching Bible-centered church. And I began to grow and, and learn and um, Bob, he wasn't going with me to church. And when I, after uh, I'd got settled in this church and began to, to grow uh, in the Lord, uh, he got curious and uh, he wanted to go with me. And so we started the church together. And um, three months after I was saved, he got saved. Amen. And I don't know how many members of my family anymore <laughs> my mom and my stepdad. And they just began coming to church. and and getting saved and so it was it was a real experience so you've seen the faithfulness of mm-hmm. how one person can get serious with the lord mm-hmm. and then it, there's a trickle-down effect isn't there yes and, and i've seen that even out here with you you know you there is a whole row of your yes. generations you are uh let me get this right you are a great great is that right great great yeah. grandmother five generations five generations mm-hmm. You get early started, you get a lot of time. Well, that's that's another teaching for another day on that one. Um, So when you first got saved, was anybody mentoring you, discipling you? Was there anything along that? Yes, the pastor's wife. She was a godly woman, a praying saint. And uh, her and I would meet together and pray. And uh, we would have, we started um, um, a prayer meeting uh, once a week prayer and fasting at the church and um that that grew and it was it was just um it was just something that god was in and uh, it was revival time (laughs) if you would not have had that as a young believer do you think you'd be where you're at right now spiritually was that instrumental in teaching you what it means to be serious with the lord in prayer and fasting and seeking him absolutely Mm -hmm. um when i got saved um uh i was i'm made up my mind I was going with the Lord regardless of whether anybody else did or not and I wanted everything God had for me mm-hmm. and that's what gave me the incentive to just grow with the Lord and go with him amen okay I'm going to ask you some questions Psalm 37 verse 25 I have been young and now I am old oh, yes yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread that's true. That's true. If you put God first, and then your family, and then the church, you got it made. Were there ever lean times in the right household where you had to trust the Lord? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we, uh, we always just, the, and at my age, you know, we just coming out of the, the um, depression. hard time, the depression, yes. And we had it tough. And, uh, but we found out that um, God supplied every need, and we never we never went hungry. We, in fact, uh, kids would bring uh, their friends home, and they said, "You eat like this every day." <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it was it was hard work, but it was it was good. Amen. How about this one, <laughs> Psalm seventy one? Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray headed. 
O God, do not forsake me. And try to declare your strength to this generation, Mm -hmm. your power to everyone who is to come. Yes, that's a favorite verse of mine. (laughs) You are 91. Yes. And I I just just came back from a pastor's conference in Indiana, and one of the pastors there who's probably pushing 70, he made a comment. He says, his prayer is, may my latter years be more fruitful than my former years. Mm -hmm. Now, how long ago did Bob pass away? 11 years. 11 years. So you've been a widow for 11 years. Mm -hmm. Now... After Bob passed, what did you turn your house into? What did I turn my house into? I can't get a hold of you. Every time I try to call you, you have people over there praying. You have yes. people coming over all the time. Yeah. How, how many different prayer groups are you involved in during the week? Well, uh, oh, about six or seven, I six suppose. Six or seven? And, and, and I don't say this, I, you know, I'm not saying this to build Shirley up. She has no idea what I'm going to ask her. If you guys don't know how I do this, I usually call the person up a couple hours before the service or the day before. And I said, would you get up and talk with me? And I usually don't tell them what we're going to talk about because I think that makes them prepare too much. So I like the Holy Spirit just to lead. Mm-hmm. What, what time do you get up in the morning? I get up about 530 at 6 o'clock. I turn cause station on and start begin to listen to mm-hmm. uh, radio programs. How many hours a day do you think you pray? Oh, I would hate to say, because I get up in, I, in the middle of the night. I, I don't know. <laughs> a it's lot hours, of though, isn't it? Yes. I called her today about 5 o'clock and said, would you be willing to come up tonight? And I say, hey, Shirley, it's James. Her first words to me, I was just praying for you. <laughs> That's what you said. If I have a prayer request, I, I go to Shirley and I pray. Luke chapter 2 says this. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess. The daughter of Phineu of the tribes of Asher, she was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. So she was married seven years. And this woman was a widow of 84 years. So she had been a widow 84 years who did not depart from the temple but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of you with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe in prayer and fasting, that's for sure. And I think that's what my calling was from the Lord. I know it is. When I was saved... Uh, I knew that I was uh, called to prayer and fasting, and uh, that began right away when I was saved. So what would you say to young moms that have tons of kids, they are busy, is there time to pray and fast? I used to go to the hay mile and pray, <laughs> get away from the kids. <laughs> so looking back in your 20s, what was instrumental, being mentored, being discipleship, would you say? Yes, and staying faithfully, going to church—that was—that was, that was our, our thing. When I, when the kids were little, uh, every time I washed them up, they'd say, "Where are we going to church, mommy?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the the, the church is uh, being faithfully going to church, raising your family in the church, keeping them um, family devotions, um, just being able to. Uh, um, have the family together and be in church together is one of the main things. What would you say when you were going through your, let's say, middle age years now, late 30s, 40s, early 50s? What was the Lord showing you at that time? Just I just needed to keep close to him. Um, there, I think the main thing is that I learned that we're in a warfare. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to have on the whole armor of God and... Uh, uh, know what the weapons of our warfare are. We really we really need to uh, keep on our knees, keep in the Bible, uh, and God will, will do the rest for us. You said keep in the Bible. Um, I don't know if people know this or not. 
but you know, you lost your eyesight. Yes. How long ago did you lose your eyesight? Uh, I suppose it's close to 18 years now. 18 years. Mm -hmm. What do you miss about reading the Bible? Ah, uh, well, being able to, you know, um, go back and forth, you know, reading different scriptures. And, uh, but I have the talking Bibles. I have everything that I need <laughs> <laughs> to keep in the Bible. And the main thing is uh, being under a, a, a teaching uh, in the church where you get the word of God and you have people that love you and uh, pray with you and you can share your burdens and your cares and your concern. Having a church that is really um, a gospel preaching, teaching church and uh, people that love God. And that's the main thing. Do you think sometimes we take for granted this access we have to the Bible? We can read it all. You that cannot now go just pick up the Bible to read it. Do you ever just think, boy, do you realize what you're missing? No. Yes, I tell you, there's nothing like the Word of God and its promises. I think you uh, you need to know God's promises and, and claim them and um, let God work in your heart. One last story, I think, here before we get ready to close up. I remember one time being over at your house, and I was just starting to have kids, so this is probably, you know, 12 years ago. And you still have, if you've ever been over at Shirley's house, you still have the high school graduation pictures of your four children mm -hmm. on the wall. And I asked you, I said, Shirley, how do you, how do you not worry about them? How, how do you not wonder about the future and you worry about them and what about this and what about that? Do you, do you remember what you said? No. You don't remember. We have these no, great conversations. I can't even remember what done, what yeah, done you, yesterday. You can't remember what you did yesterday. Well, <laughs> amen. Um, I remember you gave the most straightforward, untheological answer. You just looked at me and said, well, you have to give them over to the Lord. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. You just said you have to. They're not, you know, how, and you said, how can I keep them safe? How can I protect them? I have to give them over to the Lord. I think that was the one thing that when I prayed through at home and got saved, I put my kids on the altar and I, I gave them up to the Lord and I, and I gave my husband up to, to the Lord. And he was, and God was first in my life and then my family and uh, whatever God wanted to do from then on, they were his. And your oldest son just passed away. Yes. Um, about a month and a half ago, two mm -hmm. months ago, mm -hmm. but was with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what a glorious home going. Yes. Uh, what a glorious. Now, what a fascinating thing. Because I was with you when Bob passed away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seeing a wife lose her husband and hearing you just talk about losing a son. And you say, what a glorious homecoming. What, what makes you have that mindset? I lost my husband. I've lost a child. But yet you, you turned it into praise. Mm. Yes, we really did, when, um, because um, I knew that where they were, where they were, and then I was going to meet them one day, and um, God was going to see me through. Amen. That was just amazing to see you turn that trial, the tribulation, into praise. You just did it with your son, too. Instead of focusing on losing a son, you said, what a glorious homecoming. Yes. You spoke words of life, not words of death. And that's something, knowing you for 20-plus years, you have always spoke words of life. You always, if a situation got up, I remember being over at your house, and you said, James, we just need to pray. Mm -hmm. You know, when the, when the conversation started going negative, when the conversation started saying, okay, this is looking rough, you would stop and say, we just need to pray. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people get through uh, this world the way it is now without being on your knees Amen. before the Lord. Amen. And in, the, in his word, Amen. claiming his promises. Well, I tell you, thank you for coming up and sitting with us for a little bit.
Take, let's close out in prayer here, Shirley, okay? okay? Lord, as we just come to you now, I just thank you for the, the study we had in the book of Ecclesiastes. I just thank you for Shirley willing to come up and just share what she has seen walking with you, Lord, walking on this earth for 91 years and walking with you, Lord, since, you know, the 50s. Amen, Lord. Help this be an example to us to be people of prayer, people of your word, trusting your promises, and, Lord, finishing strong, finishing the race well. May our latter years be more fruitful than our former years. And she's a walking example of that. And we say thank you in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, we'll be starting Revelation next uh, Wednesday. If you got anything you want to pray about, feel free to pop on up here and we can pray. You guys have a good week and God bless.